0: I miss our pastor. He's he's. Uh, it's good to see. It's good to see that joy on his face, isn't it? Yeah. How many of you uh, hearing her talk about the car? How many of you know sometimes you know the car needs some tune-up, right? You know sometimes uh, it's not running right, and maybe it's running, but it's not running. It could run better, right? You can turn the dials. You can get something going right. You know if you're uh, a pilot. I've been told by pilots that the plane is actually off course almost the entire trip, but they're continually turning the dials in a sense, now the computer does it for the most part, and working its way back to the right spot. And we're going to talk today about uh, kind of turning the dials for connection and how we do that. When we're connected to the Lord, how connected would you be if you didn't have the Word? Like if you didn't have the Bible, you know, where you have the words of God speaking to you? How many times, have have you ever had the experience that you were in need of connection with God and then something in his word just connected you? I mean, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I am loved, I am forgiven, he's with me, you're in this room, you know, right now, Lord, I can tell. Sometimes it's the words of a song that has an anointing on it, but as you sing it, uh, you just, all of a sudden you're in his presence How many of you have had times where you needed to express something to the Lord, and then you began to feel really connected to Him? You know, you just, uh, my son was telling me the other day uh, that, you know, he was in this really tough spot, but then he said he put some worship on and began to speak to him, and he just got on his knees and began to say, oh Lord, forgive me. And as soon as he began to express that word, he said it was, like, it was like a complete different experience just came over him. All of a sudden, the presence of God, the peace of God, some broken relationships he's had. Uh, how many of you have had a word that really gave you a breakthrough, where you spoke something to God or he spoke something to you? Everybody had that experience? How about when you have a, an argument with someone? How about when you're, you know, things aren't exactly, there's dissonance. You know, you all know that word dissonance. There's dissonance in the home. There's dissonance with your parents. There's dissonance with your children. There's dissonance between husband and wife. There's dissonance with your uh, extended family or with a group of friends or, or with your boss at work. And how do you get through that dissonance? At some point, it's usually helpful if there's a word, right? If at some point you get to that place and you can say, uh, hey, we need to talk. Every man's words that they hate to hear. Because <laughs> women are usually a little ahead on this. They, they understand there needs to be a conversation. And as men, oftentimes we're like, oh, I don't want that conversation. Okay, okay, we need to have a conversation. You're right. We need to talk. And, and then once we talk, though, if we do it well, like, like we're going to learn on Saturday how to do that well. The measurement of a happy marriage is not that it doesn't have conflict. In fact, the measurement of a happy marriage is that they do conflict well, that they do it healthy, that they have a way to work through things, they have a way to talk through things. So, we're going to talk today about this idea of connection. We're going to talk about connection through words that build and words that bless and how they create connection. Words that build and words that bless. Uh, man, this thing. Once, once Barry and I talked about this, and, and we be, I began to have this on my agenda. Uh, everywhere I've turned, you know, I just can't get away. It's like like a rabbit hole of never ending revelation in God's Word about about words, and He speaks so much about that. And so uh, we're just going to look at two main areas. But but even this uh, this week, I was doing my devo on Friday. If any of you are doing the lectio divina journal. Uh, you know, of course, I opened it up Friday. I said, oh, God, it'd be great if there was something, you know, in there about my sermon, just, you know, that confirmation that you're really with me on this particular word. And immediately I opened it up, and the very first thing I was assigned to read on Friday was, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You can go ahead and put up that first uh, slide, if we have one. There we go. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, uh, but we're going to come back mostly to the Ephesians and the First Peter section. But this one, Proverbs 12, 25, I added to the uh, uh, PowerPoint after I read that in my Devo. Uh, worry weighs someone down, but what what lifts that person who's worried? An encouraging word. An encouraging word. So, there, there's actually a, uh, there's some ratios that have been done. I'm not surprised that, that secular science has discovered what God's Word already tells us. Things that Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, things that David, and uh, we'll talk about Paul later. Uh, things that David and Solomon wrote uh, <clears throat> way back at a thousand years before Christ. Uh, but they're being discovered today. So uh, some of the discoveries, for example, there's a guy named Tom Rath, and, and he and another guy, Clifton... I forget the guy's last name right now, but anyway, uh, they work for Gallup, and Tom Rath is the main writer. And uh, they've surveyed over a million people uh, in thirty different nations, looking for how can we how can workforces be more productive. And they found that there was a ratio. They call it the Lasado ratio now. There's a guy named Lasado that's done a lot of this research. He found that if if a, a work uh, team had more than a three-to-one positive-to-negative ratio of words, where the words that they speak to one another are constructive and upbuilding and edifying and things that, that uh, add life, that make you feel that you've been spoke- life's been spoken to you. If there's at least a three-to-one ratio, uh, those work teams make more money. In fact, he found out all the way up to nine-to-one, uh, teams t- tended to be more effective up to nine-to-one. Uh, then Gallup uh, expanded that work with t- Tom Rath. They found all the way up to 13 to 1. It, that's, that's the, it finally ramps there. At some point, 13 to 1, you know, there's too much positivity, and there's not just a, there's, you're ignoring too many conflicts, perhaps. Now, you can do conflicts with positivity. You can do conflicts in constructive ways, and we're going to learn about that Saturday, but we're going to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit for Saturday uh, today, just talking about words. There's a a guy named Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a Christian psychiatrist. And he has a book called uh, 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 Feel Better Fast and Make It Last. It was his book that he wrote last November or came out last November. And uh, he had on one page in there in a chapter that's on connections of all things, of course. And I brought that note. Unless I stuffed it underneath accidentally. There we go. He said, "A marriage uh, is five times more po- uh, I'm sorry, a marriage with five times more positive comments than negative ones is significantly less likely to result in divorce." That's called the Gottman ratio. By the way, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, and then Losardo ratio uh, says that a business team with five times more positive comments than negative ones is significantly more likely to make money." That's good to know, isn't it? Uh, college students who receive three times more positive comments than they do negative ones are more likely to to have flourishing mental health, Uh, another study that was done. So he just combined those three studies together. But the Gottman survey, let me just talk to you about that one for a moment, because it's been verified over and over and over again. When it was first done, it was back in 1992. And John Gottman, was this. Uh, he's a Jewish researcher, so he is Judeo-Christian. He speaks a lot of Christian uh, things. Uh, my wife just recently got a, a counseling degree at the Townsend Institute, and he's, been, he's one of the guest lecturers, guest professors that comes in uh, to this um, Christian uh, uh, teaching on counseling uh, at Concordia University. Uh, so he is—he's very tied to the Christian world, even though he's Jewish himself. And so, anyway, back in 1992, he got his researchers in a room, uh, and he began to put couples in rooms. He watched them for 15 minutes. 180 couples. They ha- he had his research assistants score what they heard, and you know, positive, negative, positive, negative. And they had—they've sort of got descriptions of which kind of conversations are negative, which kind of words are positive, which kind of negative. And so. Uh, then they said, okay, we're going to try to predict if they're, five to one, if they're above 5 to 1 or below 5 to 1. That was the magic ratio. Some people call this, the Gottman ratio, the magic ratio because it's almost like magic. If you can change your home to 5 to 1, it's dramatic the difference it makes. Uh, so anyway, they, they scored them. They said, okay, let's predict whether they're going to be married in 10 years. And they made a prediction based on 15 minutes of watching this uh, couple work on an issue together in front of these researchers. Ten years later, it turned out that they were 94% right. They were able to predict after 15 minutes of watching the conversation between two people whether or not those people would be married ten years later. In other words, 19 out of 20 times they got it right. Just by watching words just by seeing the words that came out of the mouth. Now, I don't know, the ones who are positive, did they have other words in their head that maybe they didn't speak them? I don't know. Did they? But there's this incredible ratio. Well, I'm not surprised that researchers have found all this because it's in the Word of God. God said this, you know, 3,000 years ago. He said so many things, like some of these other verses here. Love prospers when faults are forgiven, but dwelling on it does what? separates close friends. So we're talking about connections or we're talking about separation. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. So gossip is another one of those you know, negative things. And what does it do? It separates. Uh, an offended friend is harder to, to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Now, it's not conflict, but it's how the conflicts handled. And so we're going to get into these two sections of scripture and kind of see what God, some of God's uh, input is on how to have better words. Boy, it got really quiet in here. Is this is this either really boring or really like really hits home? I don't know. Everybody doing really? Is, is your, any of you can your dials be turned a little bit on this? Do you think you could make some improvement? On how you speak, all right? Uh, You know, in in James it says, uh, if you'll skip two further down, I'll just go ahead and read this. uh, It says, James chapter 126, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Yikes! Oh, man! Ow! So this idea of controlling our tongue, you can go back now to the uh, one before it. And we're going to look at uh, these verses. So we're going to start with this idea of of being uh, constructive or building up. How many of you are in the construction trade, or you've done construction, or you've built things? All right. How many of you are gardeners? Gardeners, some of you at least tried to grow something. How many of you tried to garden, but you failed? Okay. All right, this may help you as well. All right, so... (laughs) So there is this idea to get a plant to grow. Like I was recently in Colorado and and they always love us to bring lemons. We have more lemons than we know what to do with. You know, we just have so many lemons. But when we are in Colorado, they're like, oh, fresh lemons from your tree, you know. And so we pack a whole suitcase of just fresh lemons. I mean, it seems silly. But to somebody in Colorado, they can't grow lemons because the environment's not Right. They just don't have the right amount of sunshine mixed with the right soil mixed with, you know And and the length of days. It just doesn't happen. There's no limits. All right So here's the thing we can Create a greenhouse where things flourish or we can create a greenhouse where things don't grow And uh, that's what we're looking at here. How do we create that greenhouse where things grow and flourish? Well, uh Paul said it this way. He's talking to the Ephesian church. He says, speaking the truth in love. Now you notice I put that really big because ultimately that is the summary of everything. If we can get that one right, all these other things kind of add up to that. So interesting, Tom Rath's research showed this too. They found that insincere positivity was more negative to people than truthful negativity. <laughs> Did you get that? So insincere positivity was actually more harmful to people than sincere negativity. What's the best is sincere positivity. So when we puff, when we, when we, uh, you know, stretch the truth, when we make up things. When we just try to ease stuff by say, kind of saying, oh, it's good, it's all, you know. When, we, when we're lying, <laughs> you know, to be positive or to avoid conflict, we're actually not helping anything. So, Jesus, I mean, uh, so God said it to us through Paul this way, speaking the truth in love. So a loving way of always being truthful is actually what turns out to be most positive. And the research even backs that up. Well, we know it from the Word of God, but it's fun to see when the research backs it up as well. What happens? It says, when we speak the truth in love, we grow up. Have you ever watched American Idol? Isn't it weird when those people get up there and they sing like I do and they think they're going to (laughs) win? It is the funniest thing. I mean, it's like embarrassing and you're like, who told you you can sing, you know? The people around me are always telling me, Pat, you can't sing. And I go, I know, I can make a joyful noise. I'm good at that. And so, but I'm not going to ever be a singer. I'm not going to go try American Idol, and I'm certainly not going to be mad at the judges when they think I can't sing, because I can't sing, man. I'm not, you know, it's just not me. And so... Speaking the truth in love. Somewhere those people are growing up in an environment where somebody's just going, oh, you're so good. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, that's so great. You get the award. Here's the trophy. Here's the, you know, and they, they can't sing, you know. You get the trophy for best singer. Look, all across your room, you have a trophy for every year. Best singer in our house. (laughs) we find this way but that's not helpful speaking the truth in love we grow up so so when we can learn to be truth speakers but learn to have it seasoned with grace really genuinely seasoned with grace we cause things to grow including us how many of you are avoiders You would rather just avoid conflict, right? You just stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. Avoiders generally, they will stuff it till one day there's a volcanic eruption. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, where did that come from? All I did was put the thing on the counter. And, you know, it's like, you know, but it was the putting it on the counter that was the final, you know, it's like they put up with so much and they've not not said and not said and not said and not said and finally one day, boom, you know, it's like explosion, Maybe could turn that dial, learn to speak sooner. <laughs> hey, it bothers me when you put that on the counter and it splashes everywhere, and the coffee's all over. And we, you know, could we work on that? <laughs> so talk about it way sooner instead of at the last minute. Speaking the truth in love, we grow. So let's look, read a little further. In every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ, with, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together. I underline that because again, what's this series talking about? Connection. And how does connection happen? Truth in love. If you, if you think about, what's the ultimate feeling of love? What's the moment you felt the most loved ever? Would it, would it be something along this line? When you are fully known, you're good and you're bad, and fully loved. Have you ever had those moments where you were unconditionally loved? <sighs> it makes me take a deep breath, just remembering a moment where I felt fully loved. I hate, you know, sometimes you, you feel loved, but you feel like you're kind of on eggshells. They're going to figure out who you really are and you're not going to be loved anymore <laughs> cuz you know right now they're impressed with something that's not quite true and they're kind of you know they kind of got this picture of you that's not exact you know but oh man if they figure me out you know but when people know you and they know you like in your bull crap you know they know you in your bottom <laughs> they know you in your worst and they and they love you that's so powerful it holds us together When we're loved, when we have the truth, not some fake picture, not some fake book, we're joined and held together by that which every joint with which it's held together by every joint with which it's equipped. So when the body of Christ is all functioning, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this is the truth in love. All right, let's go a little further down in Ephesians, uh, just further in that same uh, chapter. Let's go to the next page. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I want you to notice how that's written. I almost had a corrupting word come out of my mouth a moment ago. I kind of I I uncorrupted it slightly. <laughs> You know, you knew what I meant. You knew what I was thinking. Like my brain like, was thinking the worst kind of word, you know, for a good reason. So I'm not sure it would be corrupting because it would be uh, an accurate word kind of. But, but you have to self-think about not to hide the truth, but to speak the truth in a way that's not corrupting. So, have you ever had one of those moments, well, I'm just telling you how it is. You know, I'm just telling you, you know, just giving you the truth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're weathering a storm of truth, but it's not really uh, building anything up. You know, it's not bringing life. Sometimes when we do those volcanic eruptions, it can be like that. You know, we're like, by the time the volcanic eruption comes forth, later we're having to go. I didn't really mean it. I just, I had that kind of built up in, you know, and I, I'm so sorry. Let me, can I dial that back some now? Can I say it more like it's really accurate? I don't know if I can ever forget. I can't unsee what I've seen. I can't unhear what I've heard, you know. And you're like, no, I really don't mean it the way I just said it. That was just, that was just frustration built up over time. And please forgive me, you know. Way better to not ever let those words come out of your mouth. <laughs> those corrupt words, right? Those words that you have to later go, I wish I didn't say that. Uh, can I get that back? Could please. Because people really can't unhear what they've heard. They can forgive. They can try to get past it. But it's really hard to unhear. And um... So only let it come out of your mouth. It doesn't mean it might not have come into your head. But you evaluate it there. And you go, okay, what's the truth of what am I thinking? And then what would be an appropriate way to speak it so that it's truthful but it fits the occasion and it gives grace to the one who's hearing it. Simple instructions, isn't it? So hard to do. Are you guys already like really great at this one? No. <laughs> okay. We're gonna get more practical in a minute, but uh just remembering that. Okay, it's coming to my head. It is true. But how can I say it in a way that's fitting to this moment? And then we'll give grace. I love Esther. You, you women love the story of Esther. I love Esther. Uh, I love when she's gonna tell the king something, you know, that she's really worried about. And so she says, Okay, I'm gonna make a dinner. I want you to come to dinner, I'm gonna feed you. And then they're like, okay, so what? He goes, She goes, not today. Let's feed you again. Let's have another great. I don't know if she's avoiding conflict or if she's just like, I don't know. You know, let's do it. We'll do it again tomorrow. Let's have another dinner, you know. And so, but eventually, I mean, they're like having such a great time and such a happy moment. And then finally, all of a sudden, whoops, things get flipped around on the story. But I love her patience. Patience that she fixes dinner for several nights, you know, preparing the king for kind of a a scary moment, not quite sure how it's going to go, and uh, works her way through that. So she is looking at a fit moment, you know, fits the occasion, and gives grace to those who hear it. Remember that word, uh, speaking the truth in love? Y'all, pr- you probably can guess what the uh, the Greek word behind love is. There, anybody want to guess what what Greek word is being used? There's several Greek words for love. Which one do you think is mean? Agape. That's right. And what is agape? So you know phileo is like brotherly love, like friendship, and I mean that's a God kind of love too. And then there's eros, which is more of a romantic love and a sexual love, and that's a God kind of love too. Uh, but agape is this weird kind of love that is very unhuman. Because it's a love that puts the best interests of the other person above your best interests. It's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that says, I will lay down my life. In fact, when Jesus is describing it in John 15, he says, greater love, greater agape has no one than this that they would lay down their life for another. I mean, once you've given your life, you can't give anything else. You've like the ultimate sacrifice. And so he says, this kind of agape is what Jesus modeled And so when he says, speak the truth in love, he's saying, have in your mind that this isn't about me getting something off my chest. This is about us growing and connecting and working through some things and getting closer to one another because we're going to come to some understandings. We're going to be who we really are, and we're going to love each other through this. And so ultimately, though, I want to make sure whether I come out feeling good or not on the other end, I want to make sure that you have grace in this conversation. Isn't that how you go into every argument? <laughs> Isn't that the first thing on your mind? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to extend some grace. And boy, am I going to extend some grace. <laughs> you know, I can't wait to extend some grace. You know, that's <laughs> Now we're kind of like, I need some grace. <laughs> you know, We go into that thing. Okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We've got to flip the other direction, don't we? <clears throat> he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's interesting that he ties how we use words into grieving the Spirit. Later in uh, what Peter writes in 1 Peter, he talks about how our prayers are hindered when we don't use words right and how our prayers are answered when we start to live this life of blessing, this life of speaking words well. We'll come to that in a minute. But, uh, but Paul writes it this way. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Another reason I love that uh, he's there, just a little further down in Ephesians, uh, you know, he says, be filled with the Spirit, and then he talks about submitting one to another. And uh, I love that he says, be filled with the Spirit right before that, because I don't think we can submit one to another without the Spirit's help. I'm just a self-centered, you know, jerky, arrogant guy, you know, unless I have the Holy Spirit helping And so he's able to to work humility into my life, and he's able to. And so when we're grieving the Holy Spirit, oftentimes that's that inner thing that kind of lets us know, ooh, something's not right. There's dissonance here. Lord, help me to be humble. Help me to want to give grace. Help me to calm down a little bit here and speak life into this situation. Have a conversation that uh, is five to one positive. Everybody say five to one. Okay. I was with a pastor uh, recently, and he said in his home, uh, when he heard about this Gottman thing, he's a, he's a church planter, very effective, helps train other church planters, leads a large church, over 1,000 people in the church, and he said when he analyzed his home, he realized that they had about a three-to-one negative that they were so busy correcting their children, correcting one another, trying to do everything right, and being sort of perfectionist about the way they were living life, that they, when they started analyzing their conversation in their home, they realized they were three to one negative. And no wonder they were feeling like the thing was blowing apart. They felt like their home was just like not healthy, and yet God, they were thriving in the ministry. He said they began to work. He said uh, when he was presenting this, this was uh, earlier this summer, Uh, to a group of pastors, he said, I'm at a place now where our home, I would call it three to one. We're not even at five to one yet. We're still in danger of divorce uh, by the research that showed. But if we can get it to five to one, he said, but but there's a momentum. And he says the positivity, the creativity, the, 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 the joy, the laughter that's begun to enter our home since we've begun to kill that criticism thing, that perfectionist thing, that never-ending, you never can get it just right thing, and begin to live over in this place of joy and positivity and upbuilding and strengthening and laughing together and encouraging each other. He said, man, it is like uh, such a dramatic difference in our home. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit helps us. He can help us know. uh, On the one hand, it's, it's warning, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit in the sense of, like, Oh, crap, I don't want to do that wrong. Uh, but on the other side, it's just saying be, be sensitive to that grieving. When you realize there's dissonance, wow, maybe I, oh, maybe that's the Spirit convicting me at this moment. And then he can empower us. Uh, when Paul writes, like I said, a, a, a little bit after this in Ephesians, he talks about this idea in chapter 5 of being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to crazy thing. He says, speak to one of those psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Again, positivity. If you're if you're Jacques, you can do that. <laughs> he can just talk to his wife. He can just start singing her a song. You know, get the guitar out. I just want to bless you today. We're just gonna bless you. And she's like, I've been blessed enough. Please, you know, bless all of you. Know, it's like, <laughs> I was thinking of that, of that Elton John song. I wrote that song. I wrote this song for you. You know, whatever. what's that Elton John song where you, say, you know, he says. Your song, yeah, it's such a great song, but but if I sing it to Mindy, she's like, no, please, no. <laughs> I go, so I go, Mindy. So I really do this on Saturday mornings. Almost every Saturday morning, we get up and while we're having like pancakes and breakfast, play, I play country music love song videos off of Vivo. <laughs> I really do. I, we go through about five or six of them every, every Saturday morning, and I go, Mindy, Mindy, I got this song for you. And so I can't sing it, but I let Vivo sing it for I speak to her in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and it's good. I'm cautious about what I was going to say. It can make Saturday really good. It can make Saturday really enjoyable. I'll leave it at that. All right. <clears throat> Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, come on, Paul, stop, clamor, <laughs> slander, whoa, put away from you, along with malice, okay, okay. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> those, those are very overlapping words, but they, they mostly have to do with wanting harm for the other person, or wanting to be right, or wanting to win, or wanting to you know, come out on top, and uh, Anger has more with a settled sense of anger. Bitterness is kind of that feeling of your heart, uh, you know, the root of bitterness, begin to, to, to nurture some sense of bitterness. By the way, for those of us that are, that are more stuffers, I'm one of those, by the way, that'll stuff, 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 grace, 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 grace. but I'm really just not telling them the truth. And then one day I'm volcanic eruption. Uh, bitterness is what I'm doing. I'm letting the root of bitterness grow even while I'm covering it up. Oh, got dirt over that root. Nobody sees that root. Nobody knows that root. until so finally the root's like. <sighs> slander is an important one. Slander is an important one. It's so important. What is slander? What does slander look like between us and the church? What does slander look like when we talk about the pastor, when the pastor talks about us, when we talk about Members of the church, we talk about our family members. What does slander look like? It's a super common thing. By the way, what is Satan's name? I wish we didn't. Uh, it's Diabolos and it's uh, Satanos. And at this exact moment, I'm forgetting which one's which. But one of them <laughs> means slander. I wish we would just go ahead and call him slander. I wish all the New Testament, I mean all the English translations, instead of giving us the the Anglicized version of Diablos, devil, and the Anglicized version of, of Satanos, Satan, I wish it would just go ahead and give us the English meaning of his name, slanderer. Slander, that's his name. And so we slander one another all the time. Here's how we do it: we go, but you said, but you always. I know what you're thinking, you know, and we we impose on someone something that may or may not be true. In any degree where it's not true, it's slander. Any degree where we impose something on someone that's not true, we are slandering them. We're satan, I think it's Satan, that's one. Somebody look that up and help me. God, I shouldn't know that. I'm sorry. (laughs) My Greek is failing me at the moment. One of you Bible college students, please look that up. Tell me if it's Satanus or Diablos. I forget which one. Um, means slander. But when we are giving half-truths, big old fat lies, they're easy to see. The fake news stuff is the half-lies, the half-truths, the, the kind of. It's sort of true. It's in the ballpark. And we do that to one another, and it, and it pollutes our relationships. So when he says here, don't slander, I mean, the bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, we kind of all feel bad if we do any of those, right? We're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have raised my voice at you. I'm so sorry. I, I can't, I, what was going on? I'm, just, I'm so exhausted. I just, you know, or whatever, you know, we, we know we've done wrong. Please forgive me. But slander, we don't know we've done wrong a lot of times. We are just slippery. We just, this devil comes along and goes, you know, she's thinking this, and she's, thinking, you know, she's, and, and for long, you're like making some sort of an accusation, That's kind of true, but it's not really the truth. That's slander. How do we fight slander? I'll just go ahead and give you one of the tools that's so helpful. It's called I Over You. Or I love the way Brene Brown calls it, the story I'm telling myself. So, when you're having a conversation with someone, instead of saying what they, instead of telling them what they're meaning, or even what words they used, because the words they use may or may not have been a good expression of what they really believe in their heart. So forget the words. Words don't matter. Words are just symbols. But you're trying to get what's the meaning behind those words, what's going on there. And so when we're having that conversation, we're saying, uh, okay, here's what I'm experiencing. It seems to me that that when I spill my coffee every morning, stirring it, that that's building up frustration in you. Yes, you got it right. <laughs> so you know, oh, okay. So at least we're we're clear so far on that. All right, uh, and it seems like you think I'm a messy person. Well, that might be true, <laughs> but but really, it you know we're all a little different, but. Could we work on the coffee thing? It's just every morning's really bothering me, you know. So then all of a sudden, you're having a conversation about something and it's real, it's genuine, it's not the exp- this thing about messiness that goes beyond that, that, you know, is, is expanding and making it a half truth. And then suddenly it's a half truth, fighting a half truth, fighting a half truth, and, and there's no help in that. Is that making sense? Yes. Sorry, my illustration about coffee is not the best one, but. Um, So I over you. You say things like, "Here's my experience. Here's what I'm. Here's what I'm thinking." In the way Brene Brown says, that, I love these words. Many and I have adopted these in the last six months. Okay, here's the story I'm telling myself, and I'll tell her, you know, what's going on in my soul that I that I think, you know, that's causing dissonance between us or causing some sort of problem. Or, uh, or is my own experience of, of feeling uh, not enough, or feeling, uh, you know, frustrated about something, whatever. But anyway, I start telling. Here's the story I'm telling inside of my head, and she'll, you know, nine times out of ten, it's a slander. I have slandered her in my head, or she slandered me in her head, because I'll go, wow, I had no idea that you were experiencing that this way. That is not what I'm thinking at all. That's not my experience at all, you know. And so suddenly we're able to. Truth in love. Whew. Peace. Understanding. Make sense? Yeah. All right, we'll keep moving. Let slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice meaning you have bad intention of the other person. Uh, be kind. So that's, a, that's an antidote, is kindness. Tender hearted forgiving one another. So tenderhearted is an important word there uh, because in the Greek, it literally means like what it means in English. It's like the words tender and hearted. And so it has this idea, you know, when you start to have that callous with another person and you start to like, we're not good. And when you know somebody, we're just not good. And so whether it's a spouse or a child or, uh, you know, you have to wait for that right moment, the right occasion when, you can, when, when it can give grace, when you can speak the truth in love. But you're like, hey, we need to work through something, man, because things aren't right between us. What's going on? Here's the story that is in my head. Is this what's going on? And you, you know, and you tell the story in your head. But when you say it that way, you say, this is the story in my head, you're giving them freedom to tell you the truth. You're not, a, you're not putting on them what they believe. And so... Uh, that tender heartedness can begin to just, uh, uh, it, it, it's like the alarm system. Something's not right. My heart's feeling callous. My heart's feeling hard. My heart's feeling like I don't want to be in the same room with that person. <laughs> Some of y'all felt that way when you came to church today, right? Was there somebody, you're like, they're sitting over there? Okay, I'm sitting over there. <laughs> Hope not. Only when you're, only, but Thanksgiving is coming, you know, so there is going to be a moment when you're going to be in one of those rooms. Hey, we need to talk. Here's the story I've been, here's the story I've been telling myself. Forgiving one another. Forgiving has the idea of just canceling a debt. So now, it, it doesn't mean that we ignore something that happened. Uh, in fact, I just want to quickly go back to where he says, uh, as fits the occasion. A lot of times we do, uh, we miss it when we, for example, if somebody starts to address something with us, forgive me, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. I can't face, you know, my imperfections. So don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Just forgive me, yes, sorry, 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 sorry. That's not a good way to ask for forgiveness, is it? It's better to go, oh man, oh, I'm so sorry. Help, help me understand what I did. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I hurt you that way. And hear them out, hear how you've hurt them, and then say, man, thanks for sharing that with me. I'm so sorry. So the fit, the word up there where it says fit on an occasion means that sometimes it, it demands of us to be patient. Because if you, if you ask for forgiveness too soon, there's no forgiveness that really happens. But if you hear the other person and you realize how you really hurt them, then you can say, oh, genuinely, man, I wish I could undo that. And then the other person can go, man, thanks for hearing me. I forgive you. It's okay. And then there's genuine forgiveness. What we do a lot of times is, is we do it too soon. It doesn't fit the occasion. We're not giving grace yet because we're too quickly just trying to like... I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I know I can't face my failures. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. So the idea of walking means a habit. Every time the scripture uses walk, it's saying get into a habit. This isn't just a one-time thing. You've got to keep doing it. you got to keep doing it. Keep doing it. It kind of grows. It starts to become who you are. You can't stop yourself. You just do it. And so he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice. So he uses this idea of giving three times. He gave, he's an offering, he's a sacrifice. So this helps you understand to, to speak the kind of words that bring connection requires a sacrificial, tenderhearted disposition, right? We have to sort of get ourselves in that broken place where we're like, okay. This isn't about me. It's about how can I give grace to this other person, and hopefully I'll get some grace in the end as well. But I'm going to. Is it making sense? All right, let's go to the next one. One more verse here that we didn't look at: James three, and of course James three, the whole thing. I mean, but look at this. He says, "If we all make mistakes, if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect, and could we could also control ourselves in every way." So I mean, James is letting us know this is really hard to do. This is really simple and really hard to do. It's like I get it, I can't do it. <laughs> you know? It's like shooting three-pointers. I get it. I can't do it. <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. But if we walk it out, by the way, if we walk it out, we can't get better at it. Connecting the words that that bless. Now, this is kind of interesting what what Peter now is writing, and I love uh Peter's perspective. He's kind of the, you know, the fisherman guy, he's, you know, It just comes at it another way sometimes. Uh, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. So the idea of unity is is something that we should be looking for. Sympathize with each other. Uh, Sim in the Greek means to be with. And pathos in the Greek means emotion. So to sympathize means to be with someone in their emotions. All right. Women, you can stop listening now. Men, please listen. Sympathize <laughs> means to be with emotions. Women are gifted to be better at this in general, and men in general tend to be worse at this. We live up in the head, and you guys have probably seen it would have been good to have brought it maybe, but you 've probably seen the video in case you haven 't seen it of the guy uh, he 's talking his wife has a nail in her head. Have you seen that one yeah. if you haven 't seen that. Uh, you need to Google YouTube with woman with nail in her head. Okay, you can watch it later. But anyway, uh, she's having this emotion of, it feels like a nail. It just feels like it. And he's going, he's like, there, there is a nail. You're not listening. You don't care. You're just always trying to fix, 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 you know. And so uh, he's not being sympathetic. And he's trying to tell her she really does have a nail in her head. And there's a reason for her emotions, you know. <laughs> but what eventually happens is he learns to shut up and he's like okay I'm just going to simp I'm going to get with her emotions and not try to fix it at the moment. And so he steps into her emotions and he goes, that must really be terrible. I, oh, that must really. And she goes, oh. Suddenly she's like, there's connection between them. Suddenly you see them as a husband and wife connecting. And it's like getting all warm and stuff. And so then he starts to feel kind of confident because there's all this warmth. And he goes, by the way, there is a. And she goes, don't you even. You know, so it's like, it keeps going. so, thank you. Um. So, sympathize. First, we have to get into the emotion sometimes before we can fix. There's a crazy mystery that men don't understand. I don't get it, but I've seen it enough times that I believe in it. It's like a unicorn. It's, if I will sympathize with Mindy, she will fix the problem. If I fix the problem, the problem never gets fixed. (laughs) (laughs) things just get worse. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, it's another one of these magic things that's in the Word. I mean, right there it says, start this way, sympathize with each other. Okay, if that's the first step, okay, I got to get into the emotion. I've got to sim. It's where we get synagogue, by the way, the same Greek word, uh, to be with uh, in worship. But okay, to, to be with them in their pathos, to sympathos, to be with them in their, in their emotion. If I can go there and feel the emotion with them and say something like, so she she says, I went to work today. My boss was so mean. He was mad at me because I've been late three times this week. All right. So men, what would we want to say? We're going to set the alarm earlier tomorrow. You won't be late. Okay. So we're going to fix this. That does not work. If I say that, if I say that, you know, then all of a sudden I've ganged up on her. I've slandered her. I've, you know, I'm, and I was the reason she was late anyway, because for some reason, you know. So. <laughs> right? But if I say, wow, that must be so frustrating. I can tell that you're really, you're really hurt by that. Man. She's like, yeah, man, it's so frustrating. I think I'm gonna get up earlier tomorrow. <laughs> what a great idea. It's <laughs> the way it works, man. So this is the word a long time ago, before the you know researchers learned this. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender hearted. There's that word again, tender hearted. So we got that test thing when the when when you're feeling that callousness, you know something's wrong in you, not them you got to look inside and go, okay, God, I'm told to be tenderhearted. How, how can I tenderize my heart right now? Holy Spirit, I need some grace. I need some help. I need some empowerment. I need some perspective. I need some, Lord, I just need a, a spiritual gift. I need something, Lord. <laughs> just t- tenderize my heart. I'm feeling not tender. And keep a, oh, no, a humble attitude? <laughs> Others you know, are saying humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Yeah. So you don't have to necessarily go. Well, I'm wrong. I'm not good at this. I'm no. I can be right. I just I don't have an idea. I, it's stupid to think I should tell her that she should go to work. You don't have to down yourself to be humble. Humble can just be. I'm not going to think about me. I'm going to give grace to the hearer. I'm going to think about her. How can I do that? How can I humbly? be not about me, but about her. Make sense? Or him. Don't repay evil for evil. What? Where's this stuff come from? (laughs) Like Romans 12, when he says, bless those who curse you. And when Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, even the lost people, you know, love people who love them, but love your enemies. Holy Spirit, I need some Holy Spirit, man. I need a lot of Holy Spirit. Help me. This is impossible stuff don't retaliate with insults so let's say that at the you don't want to be going hey, you're supposed to be blessing me right now you know if if, if he's not blessing you, just start blessing him anyway. oh, you're so handsome when you get kind of up like that you know, kind of. <laughs> Does this mean we get to have sex later? That's what you know, he's like, <laughs> suddenly I'm feeling humble. <laughs> you know, it's just... don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Okay, the word. I, this is another one of those things that, where the English just doesn't quite get what the Greek gets. Here's the word behind the word blessing: You lego. Everybody know the word logos. Means word, right? Like a logos is word. You uh, means good. So, like, uh, it's actually the, we kind of put a V with it. Evangelism is uh, the angel is a messenger, and evangelism is a good messenger or a good word. So, that we call it the good news or the gospel. But it's that same word, good, at the beginning. So, uh, you legeo. When do we hear a word that sounds like you legeo? A eulogy, right, when people die. So finally, we're going to be five to one, all right? At most funerals, you're at least five to one, you know? It's like, he was kind of an asshole. I mean, he was kind of a jerk, but... Man, I need to listen to my own preaching, don't I? (laughs) That is a Bible word, by the way. It's in there a number of times. Exactly. That's why we use it, exactly. Sorry, it came to mind because I was at that funeral once. I'm like, whoa, this guy, it was hard for them to be five to one. There was this one guy, I did his funeral, and they, most of the words that got up were not really great words about this guy, but they still found some, you know, some way to be fairly positive. Eulogy. But we're called by the Bible to give eulogies to one another every day. We're called to bless and to speak life and to speak good words and speak things that are uplifting and upbuilding that's what God's called you to do. If you want to, look at this, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, anybody in on that one? Enjoy life, see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil, which actually behind that word evil, I mean, we think of that only maybe as just satanic, but it can be slander. It can be uh, things that hurt people, things that are that are uh, discouraging, things that, that suck away people's courage or faith or, or hope, things that, that cause them to feel down on themselves, things that, all those things are evil. So the word evil is not just, you know, we think of it as, okay, well, I'm not going to say what the pastor said a minute ago. I'm going to say only good words, Uh, but evil can be a lot, can sound good, but be pretty evil. And your lips from telling lies, again, we got to go back. We can't just make this stuff up. You can't just go, you can't just give people fluff. You can't just be speaking all this fluffy, fluffy, oh, you are going to win American Idol. (laughs) That is not what the Bible is telling us to do. It's telling us to find the truth about them, their destiny in God, their goodness in God, their character in God, the the way God's designed them, the, the great things that can be celebrated and lifted up to find those things, but the true things, turn away from evil, do good, search for peace, and work to maintain it. It's pretty simple stuff, isn't it? Has this been helpful to anybody? Yeah, me too. As you can tell, even in my sermon, I can't do it. Gosh. James goes, if you're going to teach, you have to at least, you know, you're going to come under a stricter judgment. Oh, great. I want to give you a tool. Uh, we gonna to, we have some tools, Minnie and I have done, uh, that we pulled out from some of the best communication books. By the way, I have a master's in communication. I'm just throwing that out. It's like, I should have had pastors say that from Jerusalem. By the way, Pat has a master's in communication. He's going to come up and teach you about communication. Well, so I've studied this stuff like crazy. I still can't do it. (laughs) Not perfectly. None of us can. So these are dials. You're not going to get this just right. You can't, you don't want to start, suddenly start judging one another as spouses or as children or as parents. Mom, you shouldn't be doing it that way. You heard pastor. You're supposed to be blessing me, (laughs) right? Right. That's your, that's your line for later. <laughs> no, we don't get it perfect, but we can turn the dial. So we're going to give a tool out. I think they've got that uh, back in the back. Y'all, y'all go ahead and pass those out to everybody. Uh, it's just a tool uh, that shows you some of, the, some of the applications. Some of you have seen this before. Uh, Mindy and I, when we first got married, we went through 22 different books on marriage. We read them to one another. We marked them up. We, they were all Christian books on marriage and communications and uh, we thought, we really want to get better at this. <laughs> still can't get it right, perfect. But uh, Anyway, we put, those, we put the best stuff that we found about communications into this little toolkit. And you'll see some things. Like the, the top there talks about this, uh, this five-to-one greenhouse. And then if you go down a couple more, you see the IOU. You know, This is where you speak I more than you. Uh, there's another one further down if you see it called the Floor. The floor is that one where you, you think, okay, I'm going to listen and try to hear before I try to say. If you ever read uh, Covey's book on the, the uh, seven habits of successful people, uh, you seek first to understand before you try to be understood as a biblical principle. Uh, it's in the scriptures in a number of different places. This idea of, okay, I'm going I'm to really hear first before I say. And so the floor is a tool to do that. It's a way to kind of get yourself to shut up and go here. I'm going to give you the floor. I really want to hear what's going on. I want to try to understand, and then and then uh, then we'll go from there. So you have the floor. I'm not listening very well. Please help me listen better. Okay, I'll try again. You know, and you give them the floor. Have you all ever tried that? It's so powerful. You can do it formally, but you can learn to do it informally. You can learn to just, like, the person doesn't know you just gave them the floor, but in your head, you're thinking, ah, I need to understand and be sympathetic before I try to fix or change or, you know, give my side. I need to get into their emotions first, so I'm going to sympathize, I'm going to hear And uh, you can just learn, I mean, when I, it's the crazy thing. Sometimes I'll do it with Mindy and and like, I'm not noticing she's trying to tell me something and then she starts to say it and, and I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I'm, you know, sure, honey, sure, whatever, you know, (laughs) I'm watching the game right now. It's football season. Sorry, I'm running late. Okay. I got to get you guys out of here. It's football season. All right. Um, All right. But then if I notice I'm doing it, I go, oh, I need to give her the floor. And so she doesn't know I'm doing it. It's like a secret floor. And I'll turn and I'll go, could you tell me that again? I wasn't paying attention. And I lean over and I start looking her in the eye. And I start repeating back to her the things she's saying. And I, I, I kid you not, so many times she'll go, that was such a good conversation. I just, that just did something in my soul. I, I, I am so in love with you. And she'll say that later, and I'm like, yes. (laughs) The floor works. (laughs) You know, sympathizing, getting into her world, trying to hear her first before I start to deliver all my arrogant professor, pastor, I-know-it-all stuff that does no good. (laughs) Father, help us. Lord, uh, we just ask, Lord, for each one of us, For that promise of the Holy Spirit, you said, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we know that the Spirit is how we do this. We can't do this. We can understand it. We can gain some skills. We can grow in this. We can walk in it till it becomes more of our way of doing life and, and communicating with one another, speaking the truth in love working through things in constructive, healthy, life-giving ways. Lord, we can grow in that, but only by the Spirit's help. We need you, Lord, to give us the grace to do this. So Lord, I pray for the next time we start to grieve the holy spirit that there would be an awareness in our souls of that we're asking for that right now lord that we would aware, be aware suddenly of a dissonance that we're losing some tender heartedness that there's something that's happened and we can make an adjustment at that moment and and pull back from where we were headed and move into a sympathy move into a hearing move into a grace move into Guarding our mouths and then delivering the fit word at the right moment that brings grace to the hearer. That's still truth, but it's filled with grace. Help us to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will this help you connect to people? This help us connect to one another. If we could do this, can you imagine the way this church—just the love that people would know. The more they find a church where people love each other and they're truthful and it's up building, and it's five to one, maybe 13 to one positive, and people walk in here, and they're like, whoa, I always walk out feeling like I can conquer the world after I'm at church. Amen? Amen. All right, stand up, and you are dismissed to go conquer the world.